Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns. We plug on. We're at day 12 of training camp. Hopefully you are as sick of training camp now as I am, ready for some live action uh, content film to break down players on the fringe, how the second and third teams are practicing. We're craving all of it. Uh, don't know if you heard or not, but the Browns are going to go ahead and sit out Baker Mayfield on Saturday. It comes as a little bit of a surprise considering how how they're trying to ramp up with with one less preseason game than they would normally be accustomed to. Now, I guess Baker's uh, preseasons have been changed because nobody got preseason last year, not a single team. So it's it's maybe not that unusual, but I thought the uh, announcement to just sit Baker was a, a little bit of an interesting decision, but it uh, might require zero uh, you know, follow-up. It might require zero thought. It's just they could be sitting him to get... Uh, you keep the keep the young man healthy, keep him ready to go for when week one gets here. I'll talk about that extensively with our guest or when I was the guest on All Eyes on Cleveland with Brad Ward. I want to share my interview with him. We'll get to that a little later. I thought we covered some really good topics going on in camp right now. Uh, as for day 12, as we all know, the Browns shifted inside uh, to practice. I saw the weather report was going to go up and then thought tentatively that it wasn't worth driving a couple hours to then have it shifted inside, not be able to see it. And even the media members do not have great views in there. It is compacted. Um, it's a thing to remember that the Browns were one of the first teams in the NFL to offer an indoor facility like this the, at Berea. They were, they were on the forefront of this operation, putting a dome up and giving themselves an opportunity to practice with inclement weather in an indoor facility. But in doing so the way they did and with limited space at the time, it meant that they could not build a full-length field. So you only have, I think you have a 60-yard field, so it's very condensed. I could be wrong on that. Someone can correct me. So it's condensed. It's enough to practice on. But it is not the customary huge setup that is popular ever. I mean, hell, the Maslin Tigers high school football team has an in- indoor facility that is of a 100-yard nature, I believe. I've not been in it, but I would believe it's 100 yards. So the Browns are buying up. They're definitely taking advantage of buying up property around there and expanding. I would imagine it gets it gets done in the foreseeable future here as they partnered up uh, you know, with, with, uh, with renaming the, the building and all of that. Uh, with a partner and, and whatnot. I think the money's clearly there. They're going to do that over time, but it does make things tough. So as they shift inside, they they decide to go red zone, goal line, very focused on condensed parts of the field, which is a good opportunity to really focus on those things. So that's a lot of what you saw um, uh, from everything I gather. They, they put uh, Harrison Bryant, Austin Hooper, and, and those guys who play out of the backfield and play out of the inline positions or wing positions. They put them in one-on-one scenarios. And again, this is a super condensed portion of the field, so you don't have the three fields that they do outside to go out and operate a bunch of space to operate your one-on-one period. So everything uh, everything very condensed. I heard a, a great practice from Porter Gustin, um, who, who did, did a nice job. He's going to be relied on if Tack McKinley is a guy who's not going to be able to be there for whatever reason, whatever reason that could be. 
he's not able to participate. Porter Gustin's pressure on his ability to be a, a key part of the rotation is going to keep coming up. You know, Miles and Clowney are currently out. Uh, they're load, you know, managing load of, of practice time, and, and Miles is dealing with a little hamstring thing. So guys like Porter Gustin going to get a lot of snaps. Guys like uh, Malvo are going to get a lot of snaps. Curtis Weaver, guys on the fringe are going to get opportunities to prove what they're worth and reports of a, a good Porter Gustin practice are what you want to hear. Again, uh, key players in the secondary are out. A.J. Green, Robert Jackson getting a lot of snaps. Um, you know, M.J. Stewart getting a lot of snaps. He's rotating to safety. They're going to continue to do that. Demetric Felton, just kind of updating you on where guys are. Demetric Felton, obviously, uh, is still working at wide receiver because of some of the lingering things with Anthony, Anthony Schwartz going on there ba- uh, with uh, Odell Beckham's management of coming back from the knee. The Browns are walking a really fine line. It's nice to see Njoku and, and Joel Batonio back, but they're they're definitely walking a fine line. So, you know, when you put everybody inside the indoor facility, it's a different feel. It's a different thing. It's turf. It's not real grass. It's field turf, so that's a different feel on players' cleats. You know, you got to also remember they have the weight room in there. Then you shuffle in a bunch of media members and you huddle them in one corner. It's just a very tough thing to do. Better than the alternative of not keeping your daily structured practice. You know, you don't have to... They could shift, but there are not lights outside, so the Browns couldn't shift to an outdoor later practice. I mean, they could shift the time to fit it uh, with daylight, as the, the the time of year does allow for that. But if they wanted lights on, there are no lights to be had. So it is a uh, get your practice in at the regular time, and if you have to move inside, it sucks a little bit, but you're going to do whatever it is that you have to do to get that practice off. So, uh, you know, not optimal, but the ability to adjust on the fly, focus red zone, 20-yard and in, uh, focus on the goal line inside the five gives you a chance to really, really work those things. The key highlight of the day was a nice John Johnson breakup on a corner touchdown opportunity for Harrison Bryant. John Johnson, uh, you know, he's he's hopefully a guy that can avoid any COVID issues, stay on the field because he is wildly, wildly important to the defense and in his continued presence. And I know those guys with hamstrings and issues like that are not. Uh, they're not choosing to have issues that would take them out, but his continued presence gives me some optimism about a John's ability to know exactly where everyone's supposed to be all the time, but b the presence of the leader that he is helps this defense, helps the secondary, helps everyone around feel comfortable. So, you know, I, I'll talk with Brad too in a moment about what the Browns are doing for mental reps because I believe that to be so important with how many people that are that are currently missing, but. Uh, you know, that's kind of a recap of the day. Some opportunities. It's good to see Anthony Walker back in practice, um, you know, especially with what he can do for this linebacker group, the confidence he brings them. Uh, and and I think that's really important for him to be as, as actively involved as he can within reason with his injury. Uh, the, the quote of the day uh, in interviews, Wyatt Teller, extension talks, I love Cleveland, I love the fans, I love the city, I know, uh, I know as much as you guys know. His agent, when it comes to contract extension, leaves me out of it. He noted that eventually there won't be enough money for everybody to go around and pay everyone on the team. Uh, it's what happens with, you know, big-time talent. There's always somebody. You look at the Saints, for example. There's always a player you can't pay because everybody else is getting paid. So you don't love to hear those things from Wyatt, but he also, if he's if he's saying a believable thing that he his agent leaves him out of it there could be more to it there could be a discussion that comes up this is not an imminent doom, doom thing for Wyatt Teller they could uh they could work something out the best thing for Wyatt Teller to do is focus on the field have another dominant season like he did last year and keep that consistency up because if you keep that consistency up there's a potential that you could find a deal that works for him to sort of take that 
that chunk of change that Joel Batonio is getting and down the line sign a deal that offsets and gives you the ability to take that shift that big money from Batonio over to Teller as Batonio sort of waning at the end of his career. Uh, and, and that's a couple years off, but just an idea of how you sort of slot some money into a player that plays the guard position. You can't pay both guards big money along with a young tackle who's making top 10 pick money and a right tackle who's making good contract money too. It's just a lot. And, and you know, uh, JC Treader's not playing for free. So Take that for what it's worth. In the coming days, we will see more. We'll, we'll get a full Cleveland Browns daily show, practice show tomorrow. We'll be able to see a little bit more what's going on at practice. We'll keep our, our eyes closely uh, focused in on and our ears and in interviews when they, when they say who's going to be playing and who isn't. So that will be obviously imperative. They're running thin at so many positions. I don't expect to hear a bunch of people not playing, but they could rest important players, uh, especially offensive line. They could rest some people. They could try to get a lot of wide receiver depth. They got a lot of guys there that probably aren't going to be roster guys, but some Jamarcus Bradley, Ryan Switzer, some players like that who could give them uh, enough to field a game, uh, enough to make it work, but maybe they could rest Jarvis after a series or something like that. We're just gonna have to see what they do. That that to me is one of the more interesting points uh, going into the first preseason game, where we just want to see everybody come out of it healthy and and see those people who need to get snaps, some opportunities to get those snaps. It's so 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 imperative. So we're gonna shift uh, in the next few days. I will have a chalk talk up on Twitch tomorrow, the OBR Twitch. Make sure you are a follower of that, subscribing to it. You can do so free with your Amazon Prime subscription. You tie it to that every month. Nothing out of your pocket. That's a reminder that if you do have Amazon Prime, all you have to do is link your Twitch account to your Amazon Prime. You can sub for free. It just comes out of what you pay for Amazon Prime every month, which is awesome. You get all of our live content, and you support a great OBR project that we are doing to try to provide you with some awesome content throughout the week of your seasons, pregame, postgame shows, so on and so forth. I will have a show tomorrow. I will welcome on a guest talking Jaguars on that show, and then on Friday, I will have another pod up that I... Uh, have another guest on to talk a little bit more about the Jags. So we'll have a couple different perspectives on the Jags, where they're at, because there's a lot going on. You got Urban Meyer, you got Trevor Lawrence, you got Tim Tebow still floating around down there. There's a lot of fun things to talk about the Jags and some players that, as you're, you know, see the Browns going up against them, some guys that are going to be important to their season. And we'll, we'll maybe see our old friend Joe Schobert down there when the Browns visit too. So, yeah, there's a lot coming up in the near future here, so check that out. I went on Brad Ward's show. Again, All Eyes on Cleveland. He puts it on YouTube, does a great job with Blue Wire Hustle. I, I really appreciate Brad. I, I think he does fantastic stuff. He works hard, as hard as anybody out there. So I want to share my segment of that show of Brad's and and uh, remind you to subscribe to his YouTube channel, subscribe to his podcast, because I think Brad does fantastic work. And anytime I get the opportunity to welcome Brad to this podcast or go on his show, I will do so. So let's get over to that interview on, on All Eyes on Cleveland right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Browns have released an unofficial depth chart. Uh, I don't know... Before we bring any of this up, let me ask you this, Jake. What do you, what do you put into this unofficial depth chart? Um, I mean, it's it's unofficial, and it doesn't really mean that what's exactly on paper is going to be exactly what you see in Jacksonville, but it is what people are viewing. I mean, I put out on our OBR channels, we have a section called Ask the Insiders, and somebody asked for a depth chart, and I put one out that was pretty much the exact same as that one before they did because I was observing who was playing and and who wasn't so you know while it's not from an, a, a coach specifically it is a, a depth chart of what has been viewed at practice and which the you know which guys have been in those rotations so it tells us what the coaches think about the practice structure which if we know anything about practice structure it it does have an impact on what they actually end up doing so while it's not official it does matter it, it is what is being viewed out uh, on the practice field yeah, uh, I saw your tweet today. It said it pretty much meshes with what we've seen so far. And uh, I think that's a good way to look at that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can spin it any one way you want to spin it, but it, it's it's definitely what they've done. I guess they could completely reverse course and do something totally different from what the uh, you know teams have been, but I don't really see them deviating much from which guys have been working in which groups until – they get some game film, and then maybe a guy bumps up here or there. I just think it's a pretty accurate look at what they've been doing so far, uh, especially with some injury guys. Sure. Yeah, there's lots of, you know, the injuries right now are becoming a little bit of a bugaboo, but we're going to go ahead and take a look at some of this. Uh, let's, bring, let's bring some stuff up here and take a look at it here and uh, dive into some of this depth chart. Here's the show tonight, Browns training camp breakdown. Uh, presented by Blue Wire Hustle, All Eyes on Cleveland, featuring Jake Burns of the OBR. All right, let's bring up this uh, depth chart here. And, you know, uh, I fancied it up a little bit. Hopefully that looks okay. But uh, we, I want to start with the interior defensive line, Jake. Uh, let's go to the defense here and talk about, you know, I, the first thing I want to look for is surprises, things that jumped out to me that I was kind of like, whoa, that's not what I expected, that's not what I kind of saw, and the first, one of the first things that, that jumped out to me, not to say that, I guess it didn't really shock me, because I've heard this, and as you said, it meshes with what I've heard and what has been reported from camp, but I, I guess I'm a little surprised to see Sheldon Day ahead of Tommy Togiai. Yeah, Sheldon has been uh, a guy that I uh, tweeted out through various days that I've been there that I, I remember kind of asking myself, who is that number 92 that's rotating in with the first group? And he is pretty clearly the second shade defensive tackle behind Billing. So, um, you know, it's serious enough that they're playing him with guys that matter. So he is uh, he is competing for snaps, and he's at the top of the chart for the guy they want behind. And they don't have a ton of guys that look like Andrew Billings in terms of body type. So right. it's it's possible they like that type of player there, and he's got the upper hand as we sit here today. Yeah, that that, that was interesting to me. Uh, another one that jumped out was in, in our talks about the offensive line, I, I think that it was a little surprising to see Blake Hantz ahead of drew forbes sure yeah I, I a big thing that everybody talked about was how how well 
Um, you know, everyone liked Drew Forbes from the year before right. and 2019 preseason before he got hurt. But you got to remember now he's basically gone two seasons without playing football. So there's a big learning curve. I'm not saying you're you're giving up on him by any stretch of the imagination, but there is the element of this guy hasn't played for two years. He's relatively behind the eight ball. His body may not be quite where it needs to be. Um, yeah. You know, there's some of that stuff that can that can happen there. And I think that you'd be a little surprised by how many things you're you're a not physically ready for b not mentally ready for and i think that they uh pretty clearly like what they saw from michael dunn and blake hance at the guards and i don't think hance is a great player necessarily but i think he at least knows the system and knows the structure and will provide more stability than than we've seen or, or can expect from um uh drew forbes at this point so it, it was surprising to me but and when you think about it i guess the name that surprised me working with the twos ahead of him was colby gossett a little okay. bit there. So Colby Gossett got snaps number 72. He was getting snaps before Forbes with that group. So uh, a guy that I think everybody is sort of locked in is that uh, one of the additional guards on the back half is a guy they may try to just get on a practice squad at this point because he's not getting any meaningful reps uh, in, in team periods. Very interesting. Okay. Good stuff there. Uh, I want to talk about Edge, Okay. Uh, real quickly as we look at this and and let's start with the the elephant in the room you're watching all eyes on cleveland jake burns is with me tack mckinley tack mckinley is not on the covid list it's not an injury it is a personal issue uh it's a personal issue they say uh so for me and you know i preface all of this with that i hope tack is well and that there is nothing wrong with tack mckinley and i would want him to be a part of this team i think he's i think i have a hard time replacing him as their third pass rusher uh jake but my mind immediately goes to the mental illness problems that he's faced in his past uh that seems to be when when your coach says I don't know when he's going to be back. I hope he's back for week one, which is a month away. It, it's it's uh, a little – that gets me on edge about what's really happening. And it's a personal issue. That You noticed some things on the field with him. He looked ill a little bit before he left, uh, I guess. Uh, so I'm worried about that situation. I don't know if Tack is going to come back. I guess I'm concerned. So uh, we'll go ahead and look at his replacements. But you can give me some thoughts on that real quick, Jake. He's something was wrong on the field when he went down a couple times, and what ultimately yeah. might have been wrong with him on the field is I was, you know, I was watching from a couple fields away with binoculars. Is I, I just, I don't know if it was heat. It wasn't that hot. It was high seventies, and if you were sitting directly in the sunshine, the bleachers, it was kind of toasty. But you know, for traditional August camp standards with football, it was not that hot. But uh, if he has something pretty serious going on, uh, I, I, it, I, I guess I would be surprised if it's physical, you know, like I, I don't know. It looked to me like maybe he took a couple shots in the groin or something like that. That seems like it was possible, but the issue seems to be beyond that. And if it were something physical, I feel like they would have made reference to it, that he was dealing with something like a groin or something like a hernia or something like that. Uh, but but they have made no reference of anything. It's been very quiet, and usually when it's something that involves uh, somebody, a team being quiet, it's because they don't know how to handle what they what is really going on, and they don't want to say something that is incorrect. So to me, it does give off vibes of 
something on the mental side, something something going on where Tack might not be ready to play football like we hope he is. And that's um, with, with what's on the roster at edge, it gives me a little bit of a concern because I'm not sure there's great options for the third guy that you want to get uh, that you want to see get s- some serious pass rush in a rotational uh, capacity. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it, Jake. If it was if it was physical, he would just be on the injury report. If it was illness, he would be on the COVID report. If it's it says personal, so my mind immediately goes to his prior, you know, mental health issues, which is which is fine. That's the most important thing in his life. Deal with that, right? For sure. Or a family concern, you know, something going on with his family. Those are the two things that pop up that guys miss time for under the personal tag, right? Uh, I I can't really think of anything else. Uh, So that's where I'm at with that. Let's take a look at how they would replace him, say he were not to come back, uh, Jake. Obviously, I think it's, you know, today they were inside. The rain forced him inside and, uh, you know, kind of looking along with this, Depth chart, Porter Gustin seems to be the third guy when he's not there, right? Uh, he's ahead of uh, Weaver and Malvo on this. Uh, but, uh, you know, Joe Jackson, who they've been just tr- kind of moving these guys in and out, giving them all kind of reps and stuff. But it, it's really Weaver versus Malvo kind of really, isn't it, for if you were going to stay on the roster and fill that four spot Hopefully, Tack comes back. But if he were not to come back, it's between those two, kind of, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Which is which is a big problem because neither right. of them are are all too ready to handle this the sort of situation that we're seeing. Uh, I don't think that Cam uh, Curtis Weaver is ready to be a guy who can be a productive NFL player. I don't get great vibes from that. Um, you know, I just think he needs more time to get his body the right way it needs to be in terms of handling different forms of speed just speed rush things like that so i'm not optimistic cameron malvo is he's he's okay uh he's fine but i just don't think that either of those guys are going to make all too much of a difference as rotational players they're just going to be uh quintessential jag just other guys that i i think teams can pick on and not worry about so you would need to have somebody of a um you know, somebody of, of Tack McKinley's ability or Adrian Clayboard's ability to be the next guy off the off the bench in that position. So you're really now banking on, unless they expand and go out and get somebody, you are banking on the fact that you need Jadevi and Clowney and Miles Garrett to stay healthy. Boom. If they were to go out and get somebody. Adrian Claiborne, first te- first two guys in the, you know, there's four guys in the top, like, 500 PFF rankings that are available at Edge, right? And uh, the first two guys are were Browns last year. We know Claiborne, um, not great grades last year. He played 534 snaps, a terrible run defense grade, uh, but he was pretty good, you know, off the edge, right? Yeah, he could provide some pass rush ability. I mean, he could get home every now and again, and he he made enough plays to uh, to justify what I thought his role was. And he was, you know, he's a professional. He's a guy who's got some moves yeah. that he can win with. He can create some pressures. I was fine with Adrian Claiborne. I understood that they needed to skim some cap and let him go, and I liked replacing him with Tack. But yeah, I would I would certainly be interested if if Claiborne isn't uh, too too burnt by what happened to, with the second year of his contract that he might be interested in coming back, but. Um, 
you know, we'll have to see. We're still a little ways out from them making that kind of decision, probably. Sure, sure. Uh, Olivier Vernon, he's not going to be ready till later, right? Achilles injury, week 17. That puts the timeline, like, what, in the second half of the season sometime, if if at all? I mean, the every Achilles injury is different, but he's an older guy already. He's not Grant Delpit's age. Um, he's an older guy as it is, and the timetable for recovery on those things seems to be in the the 10 to 12 month range. Yes. I, I don't, I haven't heard anything from Olivier Vernon period uh, yeah. from, from terms of his agent talking to the Browns or saying, Hey, he's here. He's there. Uh, we have not heard anything leaked about that. Cause usually, usually you would hear an agent leak like, Hey, and somebody, you know, Rappaport or Schefter would pick it up or somebody in the, along the secondary line of NFL newsbreakers would, would start talking about how his recovery is going just to kind of get teams to perk up a little bit. But I've heard sure. nothing. I would imagine God, that thing happened so late in the year that I just don't think he's a realistic option for, for this season at all. Yeah, uh, that, that's a tough one. Uh, I don't know anything about Trent Murphy. What do you know about Trent Murphy? Rotational player in Buffalo who's been okay, uh, kind of like an Adrian Claiborne for them in a sense, uh, a guy that is probably a more of a strong a strong edge guy who can play run game better than he can rush the passer, but um, again, I have not watched his tape, so if they were to pull the trigger on picking him up, it would be a full-on study for me. Yeah. Do you think he's an upgrade over the present guys? Like, is he an upgrade over Porter Gustin? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think so. I, I, Porter Gustin's fine, but I I just don't know. I don't know much about the second group. Yeah. We haven't seen Curtis Weaver or Malvo play any significant NFL snaps at all, and Porter Gustin's okay. He's He's a nice fourth defensive end, in my opinion. Okay. Know, who can who can play 15 snaps a game so i don't love him being pigeonholed into having to play 30 snaps a game it's just he's just not that type of guy to get enough pass rush to gen, generate enough pass rushes as, as your third dn to make a substantial difference certainly uh vic beasley is the last guy on the list here that i have played with the raiders last year uh poor grades uh, he'll be 29 at the start of the season. Um, not signed. He'll get a shot as a number four rusher in hopes of recapturing some of his early career potential. Yeah, certainly a guy that had potential. Uh, thoughts on Vic Beasley? I I would bring him in. I mean, a guy who seems to be healthy enough. A guy who could. He's kind of like Tack in a sense, where he had a really yeah. hot start to his career and has tapered off. But you try to recapture some of that in a limited capacity. I. There's not a ton of guys out there that you can go after and feel good about. So if if I'm looking at those four, the last two are probably the guys that I would uh, I would go after. Sure, makes sense, absolutely. Uh, so we just wanted to cover that and get those names out there. You know what I mean, Jay? Just just in case Tech isn't around for a while and this materializes into something where it doesn't sound like you you feel really comfortable with what's on the roster and i don't really either it's just really unknown right we don't know uh and it doesn't appear that those guys would be ready to fill that role especially when you have a guy with like uh clowny in his injury history right like you could be asking somebody to step in opposite miles garrett that really shouldn't be starting in the nfl right yeah it just could be a non-factor out there and i think that's going to be a really big problem if they if they have to use those types of players i mean i again i need to see more i really to feel comfortable with with what those guys can do 
The preseason games will tell us a lot more, and I'm sure that the coaching staff probably feels the same, that they need to see these preseason games to get a great feel for what they have with those guys because sometimes you need to see full speed, juiced up, ready to go, playing against somebody other than your own team. So, yeah, I, I – I need to see more, but I'm not comfortable. As we sit here, I, I, I was kind of counting on TAC to be a really integral part of this uh, rotation and get, get some, some serious pass rush opportunities this year that could that could change a game or two. Yeah, and you know, Jake, even even like the presence of TAC made me, and Clowney, made me feel better about the interior too because there was always kind of like, hey, you can – Kick Clowney inside if you're having a lot of trouble with, you know, or somebody's not doesn't materialize inside. Uh, you can always kick him inside and use Tack on the outside. And, and the absence of Tack there also, you know, it pulls away from the, the inside too. Sure does. I mean, you can move Malik Jackson outside, but then you're taking a position of, uh, yeah. it's kind of like what they did with Sheldon Richardson occasionally. You're taking a position that's already not great and taking one of the better players from it to do something they're not always accustomed to doing and then relying on other players that uh that aren't that aren't traditionally getting as many reps as they do so you get you can run into you can create new issues by trying to solve one other issue and and um i'm i'm yeah. I, to put it lightly i'm i'm g- decently concerned about how this defensive line is going to hold up a perform from the interior but b hold up at the edge position, you know, everyone's excited about Clowney and miles and believe, believe you me, I am too. I mean, I, they, they could, they could do some serious damage, but they have to hold up for a whole season. And that's with Clowney's history. And, you know, miles has had some things happen to him that have caused him to miss some games over the course of his career too. You lose one of those guys for a serious stretch of time. And you're like, okay, how are we getting pressure on the court? The, the coverage could be better, but then how are, I still don't know how we're getting pressure on the quarterback, you know? No question. It's a, it's a legit concern, and, you know, the interior defensive line is just it's just unproven. We don't really know, yeah. you know. You feel like there's some talent there, and we just don't know how that's going to materialize. And then if you your edges are, are really weakened by the, the lack of a guy like Tech, and, you know, anybody that can beat somebody off the edge one-on-one is on a roster. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. like, there's nobody really left. They, they're already on the rosters at this point. Uh, it's hard to find those guys. All right. Uh, moving on, you're watching All Eyes on Cleveland. Special guest Jake Burns of the OBR, the OBR Film Breakdown. Today is August 11th uh, as we come up on the first preseason game in Jacksonville on Saturday night. Browns were forced in uh, inside today. Were you supposed to go out today, Jake, and got not weren't able to go because they got forced inside? Yeah, when there was hint that they moved, they could move inside. I decided not to take the trip because you go inside, you don't get to see them, so it's not even smart really man. worth my time. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to mess with that. I know, smart man. They were turning people away. That that sucks. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about uh, cornerback real quick. Uh, so according to the depth chart, Greedy is still, uh, you know, your starter here. Take that for what it's worth, I guess. Uh, that's kind of one of those things where I'm not really sure how true that is, but okay, right, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Newsom, Troy Hill, A.J. Green, M.J. Stewart, Robert Jackson behind M.J. Stewart. We'll get to that. Let's start up front here. I've gotten the feeling, you know, they're moving Newsom and Hill around a lot. Uh, from my understanding, it's like 60-40 Newsom outside to in is what I heard a coach say. Um 
So with his reps in both places and the amount that they've been using Troy Hill on the outside, is it possible that if Greedy were not to materialize or be ready to start outside or Denzel or Greedy were to miss time, the first move wouldn't be to move Newsom in. It would be, or like in their place, it would be to move Troy Hill in at outside and then Newsom inside in the nickel? It's up in the air. I mean, I think that I've tried to remind folks of this all offseason that Troy Hill, the extent of his NFL career up until last year, which I think was three years in the NFL, his first three yeah. years were spent as an outside corner. So that's and not that he was very good out there. He was okay. He wasn't a a consistently good outside corner. He had moments, but he was not consistently good. He was okay. like I said, like like Terrence Mitchell, like uh, outside corner. I mean, you know, it's take it or leave it. It's system based. Some things like that have to occur. But he uh, he moved into the slot last year when Nikel Roby Coleman left play. So he found a ton of success playing the slot because he's instinctual in there and he, he plays with the physicality that's really good for the position and uh, can handle the inside out movement things like that. So he had a better year. Uh, obviously, signs in Cleveland. But he can do that. I don't know. They 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 have mentioned now a couple times that they're more than willing to try Greg Newsom in the slot. We got eyes on that during the scrimmage in in, in the stadium, and uh, that's certainly something they're working. But when or, you know whatever cliche you want to use, when the rubber meets the road of that type of decision, will they want to move uh, a player like Hill outside where maybe he's found a lot of comfort inside in the scheme? and create a new issue and maybe you're doubling up issues relying on a rookie to come in and do something he hasn't done a ton of at the professional level yet. So I think the logical thing would be that they would simply move Newsom into the role outside. I'm not even that certain, Brad, that Newsom's not going to win that role to begin with. So that that's uh, what I thought, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's again it's all it's all just sort of premature. They're all they're rotate certain positions, they're just rotating guys every day. And Joe Woods and Kevin Stefanski have mentioned their propensity to move guys around and test them out at camp because you just want to get looks at guys in different spots on the field. This is your time to do it. Once preseason gets here and you actually have games and you're trying to sort of pinpoint where everybody's going to be located, you start to tighten that up a little bit and stop messing with where guys are going to be. But as far as experimentation time of year, this is the time of year when you got guys on the field and pads and going at it, and it's a good time to do that. So uh, I, I think that job is very much in the air. If in your hypothetical situation, Greedy Williams does win the role and then does get hurt, I think the first thing they would do is just just plug in Greg Newsom. If they feel like okay. they feel like Greg Newsom is uh, f- from their in the preseason or they're watching at practice and they say this kid we think he's going to be a really good slot and they want to play him in the slot then they could do that but my first guess in this this situation would be that that Newsom would slide in line up and they just keep Hill where he is so I think they just want to flirt with as many different things as possible and I think uh, Troy Hill understanding how the outside corner position is played is beneficial to him to to the longevity or success I should say of his role inside because you need to know um especially as a secondary player, what everybody's doing, where they're supposed to be, what the concept is for for, uh, for all of your defensive back positions. So, like I said, it's up in the air. Could go either direction there, but they like knowing that, hey, these guys can do it. You know, we can, we can, we can tweak these guys to play whatever position we want. Maybe we play a team that has strong slot play this week. They like to target Cole Beasley, for example. They can move, keep Troy Hill in the slot, or they like to target outside receivers 
maybe we'll keep we'll put Troy outside for a little more stability there. So yeah, just just uh, just flirting with every possible thing they can do uh, in the secondary. Yeah, they like they mentioned getting them cross trained and all that kind of stuff. So that just it just gives them more options. I agree. Now's the time to do it. Uh, so if we look at depth at this position, it would appear to me from a distance that AJ Green would be your fifth corner right now. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think AJ's done a nice job. He's made some plays in practice. I like his technique. I like I like what I've seen from him. He looks smooth. He looks to have the twitchiness you need to be a depth corner in the NFL. Uh, to you know, just be a problem if you're on the field. If you're a fifth corner, you just want to not be a, a hole in the defense. So I, right. I like what I've seen from AJ. I think he's made some plays. If he has a couple really nice preseason games, I feel like he has a great chance to lock up that role, which is great. You know, for a second year undrafted free agent to win that role is is uh, is what you want to see. Absolutely, uh, he's looked good in camp. He's kind of been all over the place. Uh, MJ Stewart. Trying, I, I guess, you know, they got him playing, you know, he's getting reps at safety. He can play that nickel. I'm not a huge, huge MJ Stewart fan. Uh, you know, he's small and he's kind of slow. I guess safety is a little bit better for him speed-wise there. But, like, uh, you, you know, at that point, it's him or Robert Jackson or, I mean, we still depth here. You're done if you're sixth corner, I mean, they have MJ Stewart in there, and, and I just thought he wouldn't make the roster. You think he makes this roster? He's like fifty-three right now, right? Yeah, it's 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 predicated. <laughs> it's close, right? Yeah, the whole thing comes down to who's healthy and who's not. I mean, we don't know much about Grant Delpit at all. I kind of, as I've tried to do all off-season, temper expectations for Grant um, because, and I don't want to be the maybe Brad I lean to tempering all expectations and I'm not the hype guy I don't know man but but no. I I thought a guy coming off in the, of, of his first really major injury and to be one of the hardest injuries to recover from in, in sports I just wanted people to understand that it's not a lock that he would come back just ready to go week one like nothing had happened I think it takes a feeling out process there with a with an Achilles to start trusting all of it again at full speed you need to play without thinking. You know, you, you can't play this game without uh, or with anything in the mental side of things in the back of your mind telling you, hey, I'm really just worried about landing. on." The, he landed and he caught a football against the air. Nobody's just doing a drill and landed and snapped that thing. And that's always in the back of your mind. So I don't know where Grant's at. We haven't had a real chance to talk to him. We know he's now dealing with a hamstring on top of that, which obviously makes everything really hard for him because – you know, if your mind's on making sure your Achilles is always good all the time and, and you're dealing with a hamstring that comes out of nowhere, then it, it makes it even harder. So I'm sure they're being as patient with him as possible. Um, and then and then Ronnie, who hurts his hamstring pretty early, we were told he back kind of quick. He's, he's They're being really careful with him too. So what you run into is a bunch of safety issues where you don't have much depth and, and practice, is, practice is a real challenge. you got to play guys like Javante Moffitt, who I think is a – He's a hard-working guy. He's in his second year from a UDFA situation, and he's trying, but he's not the guy you want on their field on Sundays. I mean, he gave up a long touchdown to Harrison Bryant in the in the scrimmage. Or, sorry, no, it was. It was Harrison Bryant in the practice there at the yeah. first energy on a sort of floated ball that was just a go-get-it situation. He gave that up, and then in the quarters coverage, he gave up a – uh, a double move to Najoku up the right seam who sold him outside, put the foot down and got back inside and caught a touchdown. So he's just, uh, again, he's, he's trying, man, but, but you were really hoping for 
more, you know, and I, I it could come, but I think their thought process is right now we're, we're really shorthanded at this position. MJ has uh, kind of prided himself on bumping around to different locations on the, on the football field. And uh, let's give this thing a safety world. Let's see if it's something that could help you in your career. Maybe it a, is a position that you're best suited to play and he can maybe find a path to the roster being a safety and keeping depth there. Cause you, they're, they're working in Moffitt, obviously it's strong safety, which is a place uh, that, that they're clearly shorthanded. A couple guys, they like Grant there and they like Ronnie there, but and Sheldrick Redwine's dealing with an ankle and they, they haven't quite clearly have not quite been comfortable with what they've seen from Richard LeCount as a, as another free safety to kind of give him an opportunity to play that other safety. So I think their thought is let's, uh, let's get, let's get MJ ready. If he's a roster guy for us, that he can be a plug safety when we need a plug safety. So again, you're being tested here, Brad, there's a lot of guys just dinged up and you don't want to see the last thing you want to see is somebody there, a hamstring, you know, these are just yeah. normal camp things that come up for teams. I'm sure if we went out and went out and studied dolphins practice, they're missing some people or anybody. So you do the best you can. The thing that's a challenge when you're three weeks away from the 53 man roster is, well, Javante Moffitt's getting all the snaps. He's getting all these snaps. He looks like he's a lock for the, well, they think if they get everybody back before the season, then he's not a lock for the roster, you know? So predicting these things is a little bit of a challenge because you're basing it on a, a, a good mixture of projection and then trying to say, okay, well, look at this guy's got a lot of reps in practice. And that's, that's something, man, that means something. Well, it really kind of doesn't because sometimes there's situations where you got to put a guy on the field to get practice done. So yeah. it's a balance of all that stuff. It's, it's good opportunities for guys like MJ and guys like Javante Moffat, but, but it's not, I don't think those guys are going to be meaningful snaps if they get to the regular season and have everybody ready to go. So take that for what it's worth. But I think MJ's doing a good thing, learning as much as he can possibly learn about the defense and having flexibility to play slot corner, flexibility to play safety so that if it comes to, he can he can get on the football field that way. It's all about creating worth within an organization, and that is going to help his worth. We'll see if it ultimately leads to him making the 53 because of it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So it just gives him another way they can use him and makes him, yeah, it gives him some more value. Uh, and, you know, a couple thoughts on this, the safety room. Uh, you know I don't like Sheldrick Redwine. Uh, I really was hoping Richard LeCount would kind of step up at this point. I know he's starting to get more reps now, but they, they really need him to step up. I was hoping he would be that, like, fourth guy maybe. Um Maybe it's Moffat now, or uh, who knows? It, this whole room is just so dinged up. Grant Delpit isn't really – he's played nine reps, right, which mm -hmm. is ridiculous. and Not ridiculous, but it's unfortunate. And Ronnie Harrison, as you said, they're so, – so really not for me is – the question isn't – I know they're being careful with these guys. I know they're being careful with Ronnie. I know they're being careful with Red Wine, even though, if you know, if he makes the roster fine, whatever. But – uh, the worst part about it for me, Jake, is that John Johnson is out there playing with Javante Moffitt, and, and there's no, like, you know, he's not getting the much-needed time with Harrison and potentially Delpit or even Redwine if he's going to be the guy that plays in games. Like, so the same thing is, you know, is happening other places in the defense 
at, at certain times. They're really not getting a chance. These reps are less valuable because they're being done with guys that aren't going to be there when it really matters. And that's a concern for me. Yeah, but it's – I get it, but it's also like, yeah. a, what are you going to do? You know, well, Yeah, I mean, guys, you can't do anything about it. No, yeah, I mean. no, it sucks. It sucks, but what suck more is if – is if a guy actually tears a groin or does something that costs him serious games. So I'm with you, man. It's uh, yeah. in, a, in a utopian situation, you would get all your guys to be on the field every snap and get them in perfect cohesion and get them where they need to be. But I say it all the time. I, I, I'm a firm believer in it. I hate camp. I hate preseason. I just <laughs> I live in perpetual fear of seeing something come across the timeline about a guy being seriously hurt. And yeah. You know, I flash back a lot to what happened to Grant last year and how bad that sucked when the news came out that he tore or he ruptured that Achilles. It's like, just get to week one, be healthy, and you can gel when it gets here. You know, like you got time to make it work when it gets here. You got 17 long weeks of football, man. So, like, things in training camp, when you look back on it, they don't mean anything. So, just get to week one, work it out. You got 17 games to, to make yourself a playoff team, but the biggest thing you can. You can never make yourself a playoff team if you're if you're never healthy. So find a way to get there. Find a way to be healthy, and then you know it's the thing that is so important, Brad. And I think I don't think it's talked about enough is how are they finding advantages for these guys on the mental side? Because everybody's dealing with injuries. Every team is doing the practice uh, rest layoff uh, rotation of things to get your body right to keep your soft tissue stuff squared away and. That's not just a Browns thing. Like most teams in the NFL are doing those things with structured days off and things. But what are you doing? And this is a question I would love to hear somebody talk about when they ask Stefanski questions or Joe Woods questions or even the players questions. What are they doing to keep you mentally sharp? Like what sorts of things are you guys doing uh, that, that helps you keep your, your mind in the right place? Because it's easy to meander out there if you're not in, right? Yeah. It's very easy to lose focus. It's very easy to... Um, you know, let your mind wander and wonder what you're doing later in the night because you're not in, you're not competing. So how are you? How are you keeping guys f- focused up? Are you giving them virtual reality things to watch? Like, are you demanding they answer quiz questions about practice and their assignment on the field in any given play? Like, that's a question I would love to get an answer to. Is 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 I understand this sucks, and and I understand it's not ideal to have a fourth string safety out there. It's not ideal to to have a day where Tat, where Miles and Jadevian aren't practicing. I, I, what are you doing with those structured periods off to keep them mentally right? Are they standing with the position coach to get uh, to go through their assignment? Are they are they standing back there with a teammate? Are they lay, are they hollering out what the calls are on the field so that they're mentally locked in because if you lose days physically it's not the end of the world if you're going to be back but if you lose days mentally and physically those are lost days those are days you can never get back so uh, i would just be curious to hear some of those things they're doing which i'm sure they're doing them i just want to would like to pick his brain about that scenario yeah for sure you hear him reference mental reps right so you want to know kind of what that what that entails right sure um all right, uh, you're watching All Eyes on Cleveland. Training camp breakdown, August 11th edition with special guest Jake Burns of the OBR, the OBR film room breakdown. We are talking um, the unofficial depth chart and kind of diving into a couple issues. I want to shift our focus now. Last thought on that before I do that, and it just came to me. I th- 
you know, I made the comment about the safeties, and you're like, well, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're right. You can't do anything about it. And I do think that the Browns are playing it safe because it does feel like they are being very, very, very cautious with everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's going around uh, a lot around the league. But some teams aren't as cautious, right? So I think that they have approach like that. I think they know they have some talent and they want to be – very cautious, but at times it, I think it can set up a, a problematic, you know, issues here. But yeah, what are, you're right. You got to get to week one, and uh, no, these, these nobody's going to go back and watch this show and say, "Oh my God, they were right," you know. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> right. It's just football's different, Brad. It's it's yeah. You saw the debate that happened in the 2018 Hard Knocks season. It's it's a philosophical difference yeah. you know freddie was the first one to complain about it and, and todd haley was too and there are a lot of coaches who don't buy into the idea of structured data-driven rest to help eliminate or not eliminate you can never eliminate them but you can reduce the risk of soft tissue injuries you know exactly sometimes you're dealing with the, the hand of god there on some of those things you can't really avoid certain right. things but you know i I, I think that there's a, there's, there's a smart way to go about it. The process the Browns are using is right. The results have kind of sucked, you know, uh, to an extent here. The results yeah. have sucked. There's nothing, but again, there's just nothing you can do. And I know there's a lot of old school people who are like, hey, man, two a days, uh, we went through two days. We never sat out. We do what we could. We played, we, whatever. And, and that's cool. I, I'm proud of you for doing that when you did it or whatever, you know, <laughs> but this isn't the same thing anymore. These guys are, trying to get people to week one, you know, cause I keep saying if you get to week one and Grant Delpit plays 20 snaps, makes an interception, you know, you're not going to sit there and go, well, you know, he didn't, he didn't practice from training camp three through 11. That's, that's, I can't accept it. No, you're going to be happy that the guy was on the field and made a play. So just find yeah. a way to get to, to the first game. And, and like I said, you don't have to, as we are very, what was evident last year when the first game of the year was an absolute disaster. You don't, your season's not defined by weeks one through four, just go two and two or three and one. Cause they have, I'm looking at the schedule. I mean, they have a real chance to go three and one out of the, it just, just yeah. be okay until then you can start the gelling process of these are our 53 and our practice squad. And you'll, you'll, you'll find the health you need to be okay. And if you don't find it, then there's nothing you can ever really do about it. But but what you want to do is try to manage it with, with all the power you have. And that power is, hey, we have data that tells us the in, the, the instances of pulled hamstrings or, or groin strains or whatever increase when we practice this number of reps for this player. And there's a ton of smart people in the Browns building there in Berea who go through this data, comb through it, and make educated choices based off of it. You know, so... If they weren't doing it, maybe they would have five or six more guys on this list, but it's a hypothetical world we're living in there. But I just think I trust these guys to do right by it. I understand that the process isn't yielding the perfect results we might want. But, again, I don't really care until September 12th. If right. we get to September 12th, Brad, and they have seven important players out with hamstring issues, we're kind of going to be like, well, what's going on? That's a lot, man. So yes. uh, if they get everybody that matters there for the most part and and then they play a great week one, nobody will give one single shred of consideration to, oh, man, gosh, those, mid, those mid-August practices, they, they just need – they only had everybody there like you know it's just it's 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 a lot of fodder for us right now to to talk about but i don't think it matters as long as everyone's there in a month 
Yeah, you make a great point, and and they are. We know that they are at the top and the forefront of, of the thinking on this stuff, or they at least probably feel they are, and and they're playing it safe, right? Like somebody pulls something, they're not going to rush them back. They're going to take their time. Somebody's sore, they're going to give them a day off. Guys are getting Veterans Days off, and, and I think that makes sense uh, with this roster. Like you said, do you want to get to Week One? So. Uh, great points there by you, Jake. Uh, Austin Hooper was talked about. Uh, last thing on the uh, the depth chart here, Austin Hooper in f- in front of Njoku as expected, right uh, on the depth chart, and uh, Harrison Bryant third. Uh, they talked about getting Hooper. Stefanski went out of his way to talk about getting a more t- of a target share for. Uh, Hooper was his comment, I believe. Something to that effect. Don't quote me, but it was something like that. Uh, this season, using him more. My thought is, I want to use David Njoku more. I, I feel like he's more explosive. He's looked great in camp. I know Hooper's a better blocker, but in the past game, can we try to get more targets for Njoku and not worry as much about Hooper. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I know you went out and paid the guy a lot of money to do this, and I'm not talking about pulling him out of the offense altogether, but I guess I would be more concerned about getting more targets to Njoku, who seems like the more explosive player on this offense. Well, that is something that we've talked about for a while now, and sometimes I think there are situations where we're not inside the building and we don't understand the practice habits, the study habits, diligence and meetings, the all the little things that we are not privy to, I think, matter sometimes, and we don't give them consideration. I, yeah. too, think David is a fantastic athlete and should get opportunities, but there's also a level of trust you have to earn with the coaching staff to get those opportunities. And if he does not earn the trust of them by, A, going through practice, running the right route, or games where he could run the wrong route or the wrong could block the wrong person, could take the wrong step, could run the wrong distance on a route, I'm just I'm – just, again – if you put David Njoku and, and Austin Hooper next to each other, I don't think anybody in this right mind in their right mind is going to say I'd rather have Austin Hooper. David's a bigger guy. He's more muscular. He's faster. He's more athletic. He can go up and get the football at a level that Austin can't. But there is an element of getting coaches to really trust you and believe in you the way that it needs to happen. So you got to remember he sat out pretty much all of 2019, had that early season injury when we all thought he was set to have a really great season and then comes back late and and has minimal impact because he's coming back from a a fracture. Uh, He comes in with a new coaching staff and a brand new scheme that is going to be doing things that have not been asked of him before, has a great first week, has a couple big plays, but gets hurt again and misses some time and then he finds his groove. I I think, Brad, there are... There are going to be situations this year that dictate David Njoku has to find the field. Like, if teams continue to play a ton of man-to-man coverage, I think Austin Hooper does a great job, has done a great job against zone coverage through his career because he played in Atlanta that was led by Julio Jones and, and great sidekick wide receivers that forced a lot of teams to play zone. And he he thrives against zone defenses. When he has to separate independently against a, a faster, more athletic linebacker or safety, he struggles. So if the Browns face a ton of that this year, I don't think it's crazy to think that he could uh, end up forcing himself onto the field. That By that, I mean David Njoku because he can do some things, go up and get the football, create a little bit more separation that Hooper necessarily can't. So 
I think they're going to continue to play Austin as much as they can because they trust him. They believe he understands the scheme of what they're trying to do on a snap-to-snap basis. He's going to be everywhere you want him to be when he's supposed to be there. Now, the catching thing is a different discussion. I think he just had a bad (laughs) – he had a rough year last year, which was an outlier for his career, and then it didn't help that he perpetuated the issue that people remember when he plays poorly in the Sunday scrimmage and drops a couple throws. I still think Austin has a pretty a chance to have a pretty good season, but a lot of it is dependent on how teams want to play them from a pass perspective. If they want to run a guy with him all the time, I don't think Austin's going to find a ton of success. And what you could see over time is if they notice this trend, Brad, of we keep seeing a 60, uh, 60-40, 65-35, 70-30 split of man coverage, two-man, one-man, whatever, zero coverage, We have to get David on the field more because he gives us an opportunity to do more, succeed more, and you could see a slow trickle effect over time. They're, of course, not going to supplant Austin Hooper as the number one tight end on the roster right now. They're they're not going to do that. But what they'll be forced to do is if they realize that Austin is not producing the way they'd hoped or he can't get open the way they need him to get open or whatever, it's going to yield more snaps for David and more opportunities for David because that's a real thing that he can do. You know, so what I hope is happening behind the scenes is that David is earning their trust. He's doing all the right things. He's early to meetings. He's doing whatever he's supposed to do in meetings. He's he's carrying himself the right way. It's an important year for David. He's in contract year Huge. to find another contract in the NFL. You know, I think after his first two years, there was this hope that he was going to break out, be a six, seven, eight hundred yard tight end and, and be a huge second contract guy with that. That can still happen for him, but he has to go prove it. So uh, you hope what he's doing is proving himself every day, uh, get, which if he continues to prove himself, gain trust of the coaches, he can then be on the field more often. So that's just something to keep an eye on, Brad. I think that they 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 want to see much like we have this huge discussion about Baker Mayfield improving it and proving it and proving it. I think there's an element with this coaching staff in this front office with David where they say, Let, let's see you go out and prove it, man. Earn yeah. some snaps on the field. Show us you can make plays down the field. Show us you can consistently catch the football. Continue to get better as a blocker as you have, and then we'll continue to put you on the field more. You get more opportunities. The numbers start to follow, and we would love to offer you another contract. So that's just kind of where I am with it. I'm fine with that scenario playing out. Because the alternate of that scenario is that Austin has a really great bounce back year and proves himself to be worth that they have paid him. But I do like that there's another route to go at tight end if you're going to go heavy in personnel at certain scenarios and have a guy that can go get the football on your roster. And and, and that's that's a nice thing to have. We'll see what it yields for the rest of the year to, to ultimately see what decision they make at the end of the year. That'll be That'll be a position to watch closely throughout the season. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just think people want to just jump to the gun and be like, well, cut Hooper or trade him. You can't. They're, they're, no. they're, they're significantly weakening a position that they can't do that to anyway. The cap hit is significant right now. You can make some some tougher decisions at the end of the season after the post-June 1 cut deadline. You can make some tougher decisions. So we'll, we need to let it play out another year. I, I, I know everybody has continually said, well, more David, more David, more David. I get it. But there's some things that we are not always privy to that I think if you got Stefanski, Van Pelt, whoever, a little truth serum, a little beer at the bar, they might tell you, man, I hate how <laughs> guy practices or I hate how he is in meetings or he's late. or he... I'm not saying I know any of those things to be true, Brad. I'm just saying there could be some of those things that we're, when we're sitting here like this guy's the better athlete, he can catch the football more consistently of late, he blocks better of late. 
what what isn't adding up because one plus one in the NFL usually equals two. So we have to see uh, if he gains that trust this year and if if over time of the course of 17 weeks, it, it, it ends up producing some more opportunities for him. Yeah, that's, that's a great point you make, and certainly we, we aren't privy to that stuff. And, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, you know, I, I know Austin Hooper is going to be a big part of what they do. Um, it's just uh, that comment, I was kind of like, yeah, that makes sense, but what, you know, what about Njoku? But, yeah, you're right. We've been uh, saying it, man. We've, yeah. we've all been asking it. And if you continue to ask, like I say, if you continue to ask those questions, it's almost like a parent when their kid isn't playing. Uh, either in collegiate football or, or high school football or whatever, when when their kid is not playing and they're like, well, he's clearly better. Well, you, then you talk to the coach and you figure out all these things about, well, he doesn't yeah. practice hard. He's late to practice. He misses meetings. He's what, the, I'm just saying sometimes there can be more than the surface oh. of what a player's attributes are on the football field. There are things for Stefanski to trust you to call plays designed for you. He has to know you're going to do uh, everything you're supposed to do at the right moment, or you're, you're letting the other 10 guys on the field down. So there's Absolutely. a ton of that that goes into it, Brad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great example too, uh, about the parent. Very good. You're watching all eyes on Cleveland final segment here, uh, with Jake Burns of the OBR. And thank you again for your time, Jake. You're always so gracious with your time and, uh, this is going to be a good show, I think. I think we've broken down some good things here. But I wanted to hit on uh, Warren Sharp's appearance on Cleveland Browns Daily early this week. I want to reference where this whole thing came from. And he got into this whole concept with them, and he was talking with Nathan, and he was saying, uh, based on their analytics, that the Browns last year – Run, ran the ball way too much on first down. They should have passed the ball more on first down because what happens then is they ended up in second long situations, which based on their numbers uh, oftentimes leads to a pass, which ends up in a third and long situation. But the Browns were exceptional on third and long last year, so it kind of masked that trend is what he was saying. Well, and he's saying, well, you know, Normally, over a longer period of time, as we know about statistics and analytics, is, you know, that third and long analytic or number statistic is going to regress back to the mean. There's, you're going to see some regression on third and long. You're not going to be able to continue at that rate. Uh, so this, they can make a change that way and throw the ball more on first down. They were very successful when they did throw the ball on first down. Um my whole thought coming away from hearing all that is that makes a lot of sense, right? And obviously everything that the Sharp Analytics does, it tends to make sense, right? Uh, there's a reason why it's there. But it's easier said than done when you have this offensive line, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And it's, you know, taking into account the situation as well. Like, you know, if you're ahead in the game – I don't have a problem with them running the ball to Nick Chubb on first down a ton. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on this issue? Well, I've talked about it on my podcast before, and, and I've had smart people on to, to go through this discussion. I've had Anthony Ryan, uh, Anthony Reinhardt, who we just welcomed into the OBR, uh, who's a great data visual guy, and Jack Duffin, who is uh, – Jack's, Jack's got opinions, and I think that that's okay to have differing opinions and – and uh, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but it doesn't mean I badmouth them or talk. We talk. We talk through it and we give each other perspective. And I think there's the Browns had some of the best 
uh, expected points added on on early down runs, first down runs. They were one of the league's best uh, EPA early down run teams last year. Even being one of the, the league's best, they still generated more expected points added from an average first down throwing team. So there is definitely data that says they should throw more on early downs, and I think they should. There's not a doubt in my mind that they should. I think that they need to trust Baker Mayfield more. I think they need to put themselves in better, uh, uh, less predictable situations where defenses can figure out exactly what they're going to do predicated by situation. And I, I fully expect them to do that. As far as looking back last year, I think what you have to remember as the year started, Brad, was that they were operating behind the eight ball significantly. You know, you, you rep and you rep and you rep. And you get ready for see the first, you know, the first game of the year. You get no preseason. It's all well documented. You get no train. You get a very minimal training camp. You don't get your mini camps. You don't get all of the OTAs you're, you're used to getting. And then you rush onto the field week one without any sort of prep. And what are you going to do as a head coach on early downs when you don't want your guys to make mistakes? What's the old Woody Hayes? Two things can happen and neither of them are good when you throw the football, right? Like it, when your team is not at the level of a playbook understanding um, that you want them to be because you haven't cracked the thing open like you need to, you're probably going to run the football more. You're going to run yeah. it on early downs. You're going you're gonna to do the thing that is, that is easiest to do, and, and especially when time short on prep, all of that, the Browns definitely did it early in the season. I, I went through portions of the year, Brad, where I was like, okay, if they're in the gun, they're just going to throw. Like they're mm -hmm. not even going to run. They weren't doing some of those things. But you have to remember how, how little prep time, how little opportunity they had to get comfortable with their quarterback uh, in, in, in the strides that they made after the bye. So I would love to know the data from Warren about how they changed after the bye week. And I thought they started to trust Baker Mayfield significantly more as the season wore on. And I'm sure those numbers got to a little bit better, but the first part of the year was definitely skewed because you're trying to keep your team in games. You're trying to do, and, and to, to, to be honest, you have two elite running backs and it's, it's easy to fall in an elite offensive line. It's easy to fall into the tendency of running it. So when you're yeah. really not comfortable quite with your quarterback or you're passing uh, what you have installed in the past game to, to feel comfortable repping it enough to do it often, you, you know, your tendency as a play caller is to fall back on a run game and you, you'd be silly not to fall back on that run game. So what I think is 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 a reason for optimism in this regard is they have a, a full year of understanding each other, a full year of understanding the playbook. They carry it into another year. They carry knowledge of Stefanski from Baker's perspective, Baker understanding Stefanski, Stefanski understanding everybody's strengths and weaknesses and i think that they will do better with that data this year so if you're just going to look at that data blindly and say that you're right but you have to take into account that football is not played by pushing a number and hitting enter football is played with people it's played with risk management it's played with an understanding of my i know my guys i know my team i know my situation better than somebody who is just plugging in a number and i think that that can be lost in the shuffle sometimes so in my opinion, year two will be a better, a far better indicator of where they are in terms of balancing expected points added based on certain scenarios. So uh, I, have, I have nothing but, but optimism about them finding the better trend lines on some of that data this year. So I, I'm not concerned about Stefanski's. He didn't call enough early. I think that they got to the point that they got where they needed to get with that stuff, and I think it'll work itself out. Because, yeah, the third down and long situations – 
much like turnover dependency is not something you can consistently trust because there are so yeah. many moving factors in third downs that, you know, you might get a screen. Think of the Texans game on third and 14 where Baker kind of leaks out of a pocket. He gets out, scrambles right, and puts a ball on a, the size of your front window to make a completion to, to kind of push them into taking the, the drive that was sustained to keep that to keep that drive going to get the lead. So there's there's it, it's just it's hard to predict that stuff. So I do want them to uptick. I have reasons to think they'll uptick early down throwing and they'll take advantage of uh, situations that they did not take advantage of last year because there are factors that move all around in this thing. And if you're just going to ignore the where they were early in the season last year, I think that's kind of uh, that's picking and choosing a little bit right there. But I have nothing but respect for Warren. I think he's a smart guy. He's built a great empire of what he's doing and. Smart guys like Cleve TA on Twitter who work with him. I have nothing but respect. But there has to be an element of, oh, yeah, there's there's situational football based on guys' relationships and knowing people and this and that. It, it doesn't always find uh, find the necessary storyline when, when we look back at a full season. Agreed. I, I completely agree. And that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of where I was getting at. And you just said it a whole heck of a lot better than I could have said it and a lot more intelligently than I could have put it. But yeah, you nailed it. That was perfect. Uh, and I agree 100%. And, and it, it bodes well for this year, you know, just, just the, the ability of, of that, you know, that offense. And it goes all the way back to a show me and you did on this channel a long time ago and the evolution of the Browns offense this year. There's just a lot of steps that they should be able to take that they wasn't available to them last year and a lot of things that they can look at differently and they can really become a more explosive offense overall, I think, with a full or a regular offseason, right? So uh, really good stuff, Jake, and uh, thank you for your time. As always, you are a gentleman, a scholar. You can follow him at Jake underscore Burns 18 on Twitter. He is uh, the best at what he does here in town, my favorite for sure. Uh, follow him at the OBR, which is on Twitch now. Uh, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that on YouTube, will I? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> You're okay. going to send, send more spiders yeah. onto your screen. That's yeah, I know. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I've, I, if, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been a little antsy here tonight, uh, <laughs> feeling stuff. But, uh, yeah, the OBR, uh, film room breakdown as well. Jake, thank you, sir. You're awesome. My pleasure, Brad. Anytime, and, and you know the respect is right back at you. Yes, sir. Have a wonderful evening, and, uh, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Brad. You too. That's a wrap on this episode. Thanks for joining us. Continue, if you can, to please, please, please spread the word about what we're doing with this podcast every day. As we get into the season, I promise you the structure is going to be really fun. We're going to do some things that are different than any other podcast that's doing this on the daily regular, and there's not much competition doing it on the regular. So if you're looking for something consistent that builds on what we've been talking about every week, you get the same consistent content to understand your Cleveland Browns football team. This is the resource for you to go to. I will lay those plans out very clearly for you so you know exactly what you're getting every morning you wake up. Fresh Browns content delivered to you. If you subscribe, a rating would be awesome. Those help me out on Apple Pod so much. I know Spotify doesn't give you that opportunity, but if you could rate us on Apple, download automatically, that is immensely helpful to the product that I put out. I appreciate your guys' time so much. I do want to start opening up some mailbags soon, asking questions, anything you want insight on that I maybe haven't talked about, haven't laid out on the website, anything like that, I would be willing to answer that for you on this podcast specifically as a loyal listener. I will do that for you and give you a shout out too as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great day and go Browns.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.